Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. We live in a world where the news is at our fingertips, where we're one click or swipe away from the latest headlines. But how often do we stop swiping and scrolling and just listen? It's the difference between knowing what's in the headlines and understanding how it got there. I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take, Al Jazeera's daily news podcast, where we bring you the context and the people behind the global stories that matter. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you. Um, how many people here uh, are Canada Land supporters? Wow. Thank you. How many people support Joey? Yeah. Uh, how many people had Cosby tickets they didn't want to use? <laughs> you made the right choice. Let's try this. This episode is brought to you by AG1. Listen, taking care of your health is not always easy, but it should at least be simple. That is why for months now, I start every day by drinking AG1. I take a scoop of this green powder, I mix it in a canister with water, shake it up, and I drink it. I get hydrated and I get energized and focused and ready to take on the day knowing that I have vitamins, minerals pre and probiotics and a lot more. These are things that science tells us we need. They are also things that I don't necessarily get every day outside of my AG1. Listen, if there's one product that I'm going to recommend that will help you elevate your health, it's AG1. And that is why I have been partnered up with them for so long. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try it now and you'll get a free welcome kit that includes a shaker bottle, canister, a metal scoop, along with five free travel packs. You'll get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3 and K2 along with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash CanadaLand. That is drinkag1.com slash CanadaLand. Check it out. It would be terrible to abandon any of these local communities, but if I thought it would make local news sustainable, I would, said Kevin Krull, the president of Bell Media recently, uh, when he was whining to the CRTC. He didn't want to continue to offer free local news stations to 30 different markets. And that's just TV news. The situation is grim across the board. And, uh, you know, I'm speaking to you today from Hamilton, which is an underserved market by media, by news, that is unique in many ways, but it is not unique in that respect. There are 
cities, and this is you know, a city of, uh, what is it now? Half a million more? Yeah. There are papers shutting down in, in Hamilton, Victoria, Regina, Saskatoon, London, Kitchener, Windsor, all throughout the country. Alternative news weeklies are dropping like flies. Local news, which is maybe the most important news in, in, in many ways, just what you need at a basic level to just know what's going on in your own community, with your own council, with, with what's happening with your schools, to have a fighting chance to know what's going on in your world, we are underserved as a country. There is a pattern of concentration and consolidation and then just contraction and finally collapse. And I have um, welcomed the collapse part, at least, like let's just get on with it on, on my show, which has brought angry response from some people who work in legacy media. One of those people uh, was, a, was a listener and a supporter of my show, and you know, he said, look, you know, congratulations for your crowdfunding success. That's great that you've been able to find some people to support what you're doing, but is that scalable? Will that replicate? Who's going to report on my local council meeting? And I answered, have you heard of Joy Coleman? We're going to have a conversation today about not just the bad side, not just the collapse, but about what might come next. And we're going to focus specifically on what might come next. And we're going to use Hamilton as an example, because Hamilton is a great example. And uh, I want to thank everybody here for being here. Let's try this again. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Ronan O'Bearn, Blaine Haggart, Eric, Ryan McDonald, Maddie, Alan Izust, Ian Nauer, Mark Gorsi, Daryl Byrne, and Justina Berzowska. Joey Coleman is Canada's, uh, I think, first crowdfunded local journalist. I believe that's true. I believe that's true as well. Yeah. Uh, his site, which is funded by many of the people here today and others, thepublicrecord.ca, was launched in 2012. He has been reporting independently for free for years now after breaking off from mainstream media. Previously, he wrote about education and other issues for Maclean's and uh, the Globe and Mail and others. And uh, he covers Hamilton 24-7. To his right is Sonia McDonald, who is an academic who researches the media. She is the coordinator of the Hamilton Media Project and is a leading academic researcher on the factors leading to Hamilton's underrepresentation uh, in media. And uh, she is a strong advocate of public broadcasting, and she led the campaign for a CBC presence in Hamilton. Warm round of applause, please. And I think you're all familiar with Donna Skelly, a political correspondent with over 25 years' experience as a journalist here in Hamilton, her work for local independent channel CHCH includes covering the first Gulf War at the Canadian Forces Base in Qatar and leading the efforts to save CHCH on how many occasions? Maybe again. <laughs> Maybe once we <laughs> A bunch of times. Uh, Donna was one of the Internet's first local journalism entrepreneurs. I'm not talking about Hamilton or Canada, the Internet. One of the Internet's first local journalism entrepreneurs Back in the year 2000, she launched a site called news4hamilton.com, which offered original news content and video for three years. Warm round of applause, please, for Donna Skelly. (laughs) 
Sonia, tell me about Hamilton. What is unique and what, what is the situation with local news in, in Hamilton? If you can, I know it's a long story, maybe we can get a, an overview of the situation that, that people Well, are I think you have to look at the city first and then you look at our news environment because as with most communities, one is bred from the other. So Hamilton's a mature and a complex and a, a medium-sized city. It's one of the larger medium-sized cities. Uh, our population, I think as you said earlier, is around our city population is around um, over half a million. We have the CMA, which is, uh, includes Grimsby and Burlington, and that brings us up to around 720,000, 730,000. That puts us on par with cities like Quebec City and Winnipeg. One of the elephants in the room that you can't avoid is we're also, what, 60 kilometers down the QEW from Toronto, which is the largest media market, English language media market in the, city, in the country. So in some cases, I'd like to say that Hamilton is, a, again, a quintessential Canadian example in media because we are sleeping with the elephant, and our elephant in the Canadian context is the one down the highway, whereas when we look at Canadian media in the national scope, we're looking at our relationship with the US. Because of our proximity to Toronto, in broadcasting in particular, we've seen um, a lot of arguments being made about how we are shut out of the system in terms of frequency. Scarcity or a few frequencies is an issue in radio here in town. Um, and it, when you talk about TV, it becomes really sketchy and complicated and difficult when you get to the policy level. Um, so what that's meant is that we've been able to, um, since our inception as a city pretty much, be a monopoly market in media. So there's one um, uh, commercial or private da uh, daily newspaper, uh, the Hamilton Spectator, started by the Southams. Um, so it's been around for a very long time. Uh, we have one local commercial television station, which is CH, and Donna can speak more about that. Again, though, one of the first to break from the CBC affiliate relationship and become an, a truly local independent station in the 50s, and in terms of local content, was miles ahead of its competitors anywhere in Canada and even parts of the US. Um, and then in radio, also, we have a very contracted market here. Uh, and we had, up until very recently, no CBC presence at all. And we were the most underserved, the largest community in Canada without any CBC presence. And if you think about us and then the con connection down to Niagara was over a million people, we spent over $20 million per capita towards CBC budget with nothing in return. And that was ever since the inception of CBC. So we now have a CBC digital service uh, which is a website, and that might come up in conversation, and I have a lot to say about that. But separate of that, in the market overall, I think one of the things that's happened is that there's been an opportunity here um, in a lot of ways for new models to develop, like what Joey has developed, and others like Raise the Hammer, um, which is an online blog that has become a real local focus. But there's also, in traditional media in a lot of senses, there's always that sense of... Um, contraction is always the fear. Something's going to close, something's not. And it's also, some, in many cases, a singular point or a singular reporting or singular argument um, or coverage of any one issue, which I think ultimately leads to a poor public debate. So I'm going to start with that. It's a great start. Um, <coughs> Donna, can you give me the, the saga of CHCH and in a truncated form, it seems like it's gone through so many twists and turns. The saga, it's just celebrated its 60th anniversary, which is really amazing when you think about it. We broke away. We were the first independent station in the country and uh, have a, a really rich history of creating local content. Some of you may still watch House of Frightenstein. I know it's still shown in L.A. But, um, is that still on the yeah, air? Yeah, it's still on the air, believe it or not. Um, it... it 
CHCH was, was founded back in 1954 um, by um, uh, a man who was in radio at the time. I think he, he was involved with uh, CHML at the time, started CHCH television, broke away from the CBC, became the first uh, independent. And uh, our biggest problem throughout history, throughout our history, has been trying to provide a news content without having any, as a solo player, we don't have affiliates, we don't have the luxury of being able to tap into a, a head office or a, a bureau in, in Toronto and Ottawa or whatever to, to get access our content. So we truly are independent. Uh, we've been bought and sold in just the, I've been here since 88 and I think we've, I've had seven owners in the, you know, since 1988. So it's been a really, really difficult uh, journey for the station. Because, as, as Sonia mentioned, we are in the shadow of Toronto, we are always rated within Toronto. So we are up against CTV, CFTO, for example, when we're rating a 6 o'clock newscast. We're not rated on how many people watch us in Hamilton, but how many people watch us in Toronto. And that's how we compete for our national ad buys. And so that's what makes it very, very difficult when you're an independent player. And, and it's just the way that the market, it's just the way the advertising is structured. We've fought for years to try to be pulled out of that, like London is and Kitchener. But we are within that, that, that um, market, and therefore it's very difficult to, to compete. Having said that, we can finish second and third every other day on a regular basis in Toronto against Global and CTV. So we have, clearly, we still have a lot of eyeballs in this area. Recently, we went to local uh, news all day long. And a lot of people think that the industry is dying. I do believe it's going to change. It's always been undergoing some sort of a change. But Netflix clearly has had a huge impact on how people view television today. But local will allow stations to survive. Live will keep stations alive. If you're in sports and you're covering local sports, people aren't going to you know, go back and say, I'll, I'll watch it at 3 in the morning or I'll watch it next week. They're going to watch it live either in a bar or at home. So I think the channels that are local, providing local sports will survive, and, and channels that are providing local news will probably survive, uh, or news will survive. But local is also a component that, that um, I think that the bean counters have totally turned their back on, and it's... And I think we're an example of a station that has proven you can, uh, you can actually turn a profit if you cater to a specific smaller market. We do not have any real true competition when it comes to local content. We're very lucky and, and very fortunate. But I do believe that people want local content. They can get national and international anywhere online on, you know, on, on television. But it's very difficult to access true local content. I mean, you said something very quickly there uh, that you, you do local live like, all, day. all day. We tune in at 4 in the morning and we're live until 7 and then we go back live again at 11. All day. How many people work at CHCH? Uh, total with our, our Toronto head office, it's about 200. Uh -huh. But when we were, we were, well, I can tell you exactly what happened. Um, in 09, Global owned us at the time, and they called us into a meeting in February and said, you have two weeks to find an owner or we're shutting the station down. I was thinking, were you kidding me? They had stripped us of just about everything at this point, taken away. We used to cover all of, our, our, our crews were so... They were so talented. They were always hired to, to do all of the CFL games, to do the NHL games. We went to Buffalo, covered the games there. We had, for years, our crew were hired to do the NBC games following the, um, uh, sorry, during the Olympics. In fact, 
two of our former staff members head up the host um, uh, broadcast division for IOC because they were so talented uh, covering the Olympics. Global came in and took all our resources, shut down all our mobiles, and uh, took all our programming, and we were just dying. And they cut back and cut back and cut back on our programming, and then a couple of, we tried to save, as you know, we tried to save the station. I actually did approach the mayor, it was Mayor Eisenberger at the time, and said, you gotta get this, you know, take the license over, let it be owned by the city. I thought it would be brilliant, you know, you could show the, the, any part of the city all day long and have this amazing um, opportunity to promote the city. Long story short, we were purchased by um, three or four gentlemen from Toronto for $11. That included all of the assets. We walked away from our pensions, uh, took the money out of it, but we had jobs. Nobody lost a job. They froze our salaries, and we all had jobs, and they hired about another 40 people. And we went live all day long. Jesse, if I may, I want to compliment CH for two things that they do as a local newsroom. They are the only Hamilton news outlet to have somebody at Queen's Park. There's nobody else from Hamilton at our provincial legislature, and they're the only news station in Hamilton that has an overnight news crew. No, everybody else rolls up the sidewalks at 6 p.m. The spec has an evening shift, but they're the only ones at 2 in the morning when we had the ice storm uh, two, two, or a year ago. It was myself and CH were the only two news stations that were covering what was an emergency that required emergency shelters here in Hamilton. And I really want to compliment them. I think the room should know that it takes a lot of resources to be at Queen's Park. And it's not generating a lot of content because Queen's Park is dry. But they're there watching every day. And if they weren't there, there'd be no Hamilton angle on our provincial government. And if I heard you right, the, the shift to the all-local news uh, live format, that came with the shift in ownership when essentially the employees took, took the station back? Absolutely. They realized they needed content. And the cheapest way to, to create content is to hire some people, give them a camera, and go out and cover news. And it worked. And uh, as I said, you know, up until that point, I hadn't worked with anybody under 30 probably for eight years. They hadn't hired anybody. And now they're so, it's so incredibly um, interesting to see so many young people in the station. Uh, you know, you mentioned the execs at CTV saying that they were not going to be providing uh, local news for free. I mean, I sat uh, at the CRT so many times arguing that you can sell local news. We sell so much advertising on our station locally. Be- and, and it's good for business. I mean, here, I'll, I'll give a plug to the station, but I think it, we have uh, packages where you can buy 130-second ads for $10,000. If you have a small business, that's really good. It's, yeah. it's affordable. And what happens with the, the um, uh, Toronto television stations, and I'm just talking television, that you're priced out of the market. Are you, are you in the black? Is it sustainable? I think it's going to require some... We're going through a transition right now, as everybody is, and it's going to require some changes. I do, I don't, I'm not privy to the books, but I believe that the model is sustainable. I really do. But it has to, it has to come along with a stronger online presence. It has to be a marriage of the two. When I was publishing my newspaper in high school, I went to Mike's Convenience and got, uh, got them to give me $50 to buy an advertisement. Yeah. This is, uh, it, 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 these are micro-businesses. No one's going to get rich off of this stuff. But the way that they've sustained for uh, decades or over centuries is just you're, you're, you're dealing with local news to a local audience and you've got local ads. And I think Donna may be able to speak to this a little better than I can, but I remember a few uh, years ago the announcement came out that um, 
Channel Zero, the, parent, the company that owns CH, was uh, testing out hyper-advertising. So they were, they were actually not even just looking at the Hamilton market overall, but they were breaking down the, how they directed their advertising through digital service to, say, Westdale or to Stony Creek or to Ancaster. So again, smaller packages sold specifically to the audiences and the communities that were actually going to be using your services, which is the way the advertising market has to go. It's not a million dollar buy, but if you get, like with crowds, crowdfunding, when you get a lot of small people spending, it works out to be a lot more money. So in other words, oh, if I may, so in other words the, the way it works is you buy according to your postal code. So if you have a restaurant, let's say the Aberdeen Tavern, and you just want to cater to the downtown core, you only buy advertising and you pay for advertising in those streets. And when the commercial break comes on, your ad goes there and something else is running in Ancaster or something else is running in Dundas. Joey, you're a person in this neighborhood. We're talking about just an essential need that people have. Maybe not as important as the need you know, to have a coffee or a sandwich in the morning. You need to know what's going on. And I've spent like a few hours with you since driving uh, down the garter here. And like, you're like, we walk down the street, you're like the king of Kensington. Everyone's, hey, it's Joey. <laughs> And we go into the music shop, and, and, they're, and they're giving you gear for cost, and I'm lugging the, you know, this, this big speaker through the snow, and you're getting stopped on the street. You're, you're just giving, you're, you're the local news guy for, for, for Hamilton. Yeah, it's really uh, nice to live in my home community, and it's uh, interesting where Donna was talking about. 2009 was sort of the moment where I started to feel that I wasn't informed in Hamilton. So in 2009, I'm working for McLean's. I'm traveling two or three days a week into Toronto and another day a week somewhere else and sometimes traveling overseas and I was because CH was not they didn't have the resources to cover local global didn't care about the Hamilton market so my CH news isn't telling me what's happening at City Hall my spectator just went through another round of cutbacks so they're not telling me what's going on at City Hall and I was really feeling this separation from my city I slept in Hamilton but I wasn't living in Hamilton. I wasn't part of Hamilton. And yeah, it's uh, one of the great advantages that I have is I was a Crown Ward, so I was in foster care. And I had a lot of moving around as a child. Is I've lived in most neighborhoods in the city. And um, it's great to be able to connect with people at the neighborhood level. Hamilton and so many other cities, I lived in Winnipeg for a year. People identify from the neighborhood that they live in. Um, show of hands, how many people are from Beasley here right now? You're North Ed now, but okay, we'll let you be Beasley. <laughs> Beasley's, Beasley's in the library. I right. live in Beasley. I'm quite proud to live in Beasley. I see a lot of people from Duran. Duran, just put up your hands. Okay, and we see how quickly people identify with their neighborhoods. They want to know what's happening in their neighborhoods. And one of the great things about the service I provide at City Hall is I cover every meeting and I live stream it. And I openly admit that planning committee may have 20 items on planning committee. And planning committee is zoning, building code. It's extremely complex. I may only be able to focus in on two of those items. But you can watch the other 18. And it always surprises me when people contact me and say, thank you, that fencing issue where the fence was 0.3 meters over the property line, I was able to watch that and I was really into it. People care about local. And you think I'm kidding. You guys think I'm kidding. Fence lines and property lines? The committee of Adjustment can have 20 people arguing over a fence line. I don't, I don't broadcast Committee of Adjustment. It's one of the few I don't broadcast, and I also try to be respectful of the process. And Committee of Adjustment, it's a lot of private citizens making an argument for the first time ever, and a camera would 
be, um, it would damage the process because they would feel nervous being on camera. And they're talking about issues in their neighborhood that they're very passionate about. And I've seen no great, I see the detriment of having the camera being more than the benefit of streaming that meeting. I take detailed notes during committee of adjustment. But ultimately, people want to know what's happening in their community. Uh, the tweets that I get about, there's a road crew working down my street. People really care about that. And for a lot of media, there's no mass scale. You know, it might be five people that care about that, but I'm able to walk over to Public Works and go, do you have the permit for the work that's going on on that street and upload that permit? Um, in terms of marketing that, I think everybody in this room has seen that and gone, okay, that's local, but I'm really glad Joey's doing that because nobody else is. Um, how many other journalists are covering what you're covering full-time? How many uh, at City Hall, how many? So full-time at City Hall. I'm the only one that's full-time at City Hall. You're the only journalist. There's over there's half a million people that, that are the only full-time journalist at City Hall. At no. City Hall. But there are people that are full-time that cover municipal affairs and politics. Donna's one. But there was a time, I remember when I was 15, I came to present to a city committee, the Parks and Recreation Committee. Never more nervous in my life. And there was a camera, there was CHML, and there was a spectator for Parks and Recreation Committee, and they all had offices at City Hall, and they all had multiple staff at City Hall. When I came back to Hamilton in 2010, it was rare to see a reporter at City Hall. Um, we actually had our, we have, in 2012, we had a, a council meeting that I was the only reporter at, a council meeting, the only reporter. Now we have reporters at most committee meetings, all council meetings, and even some subcommittees. Let, let me ask you this, because what you described is so dire, it sounds so bad, like, that you're the only person who's there on behalf of the people giving them a chance to know what's going on. On the other hand, you told me earlier, like, like you might be considered a strange guy. You, you, you told me earlier about a committee meeting. For what was it? What was the committee? So I cover the pension subcommittee. The pension the subcommittee. How, and, and you counted the stats afterwards. You're covering the pension subcommittee. How many people watched you? Three, peop three people watched. <laughs> so why, why would you do that? Because, so I, I, I'm hoping this summer to have the funds to take a few courses to better understand pensions. I'm open with everyone. When I say I'm streaming the Who pension... Who among us is not hoping to take a course over the summer to better understand <laughs> pensions? I'm open. I have... So the pension subcommittee agenda comes in on Wednesday, and it's a thousand pages of detailed financial documents that I can't understand. And I'm honest about that, because the meeting's on Monday, and I have thousands of other pages to read. But we have a severe pension deficit at all levels of government. That is going to be a huge budget pressure on the city when the provincial and federal governments finally say, you need to fix your pension deficits. Right now, this year, it's a $10 million budget pressure, which is the equivalent of a 1.2% tax increase on everybody's property taxes. And that's with the province saying, okay, forget about the rest of the problem that you have. We'll put that off to the future. But that's why I cover it, is because it's so important. But I also acknowledge my own shortcoming in covering it, that I don't understand it well enough yet. And the three people that are watching are a pension lawyer, a pension advocate, and a guy who watches everything. <laughs> <laughs> so, See, this is why I should never have a conversation with somebody I'm about to interview, because that's a wonderful answer, but it's not the answer you gave me earlier. Uh, when, I, when I asked you that question the first time, you said, th only three people may be watching, but there are thousands of people who are glad that I'm there so they don't have to be. Yeah. <laughs> well, 
I, I, I was giving you the business case for it. There's the editorial mandate, but there's also the business case of people like having a watchdog at City Hall. Uh, people fund me, and many people never watch the meetings, but they know that I'm there watching over. The average taxpayer in Hamilton is paying $3,000 in property tax each year. And you think about it, you could fund me for $10, $20 a month on that $3,000 investment. You all buy insurance for your car. You all buy the extra coating at the car wash to protect that investment. The city is our investment. And in a way, I'm sort of the insurance that makes sure that it doesn't go off the rails because we've seen so many cases, not in Canada, luckily, and maybe we just don't know yet in Canada because we've lacked that local media. But we've had cases in the United States where people have been uh, like pigs at the trough. City councilors of small towns paying themselves six figures, double six figures, and it's all been legally done, properly passed and put through council, and that's because there was no media there to stop them. Sonia, I want to ask you about the CBC. Hamilton got everyone's attention. You were weirdly lucky, uh, I think largely because of your efforts. The CBC is not moving into that many regions and opening up uh, offices in, in, in many new markets, but uh, they did so in Hamilton, and they did something that caught everyone's attention because they opened up a digital office here in Hamilton. Well, let, let's not get so excited. Um, is, <laughs> my first, is my first answer to that. What became of that? Well, uh, let's just... I'm gonna... I, I, it's, a lot of people thought, like, yes, this is what you do. You don't need to... All, it's a huge thing and the huge investment of all well, of the broadcast and the getting a license. Just send some journalists there, open up an office and put content on the internet. Why don't you do that in all the small markets around Canada? Well, so, so what happened thing when to they your, tried First to thing to your comment, let's not send journalists there. Let's hire local journalists there. Um, one... I'm already on their hit list, so this is not going to be new. Um, CBC is a really interesting case, and of course, as I mentioned earlier, where we were the largest underserved market in the, in the country that we we're paying through our tax base into their coffers, I'm, and we were not receiving anything in return. What's going on in the city here in Hamilton isn't important just here in Hamilton, and as part of a national dialogue, I think that there's a, and the national public broadcaster who's legislatively mandated to serve the regions. There is a responsibility for them to be here, not only to serve us in local content, but to bring those stories to the, the provincial and to the national level through their networks. And that's what they're, one of the things that they're there to do. Two folks from CBC came up to us, and it was the head of English service at the time by the name of Jane Chalmers and, and her uh, chief of staff came up and said, you know what, we know we need to be in Hamilton. We want to help you be in Hamilton. We're putting together, and everybody has told us in parliamentary committees and everything else, we need better regional service. So we want to work with you about being in Hamilton. You have to help us by building a community interest and letting us know what the community thinks. So we started then, and we worked over the last 10 years to do that. Lots of leadership change at CBC. We continue to fight and push, but we build an evidence-based case. And we, Hamiltonians from across the city came forward in droves to say, yeah, we, want, we don't want to hear, Matt Galloway's a nice guy. He does great things for Toronto and downtown Toronto. We'd love to hear about it if we lived in Toronto. We don't give a shit in Hamilton. We don't live there. And we want that here, and we deserve that here. And why wouldn't we deserve that here? So what they did is they said, well, we're going to work on this. We can't get a radio station, they said after a while. Scarcity. You guys live in a weird place. It's part of our geography, purportedly, being in between Buffalo, Toronto, and under escarpment, yada, yada. So they weren't going to spend that on uh, frequency. Then they said, well, budget cuts. We're not, we can't afford a frequency. We can't afford the staff. 
So we kept pushing, kept pushing. Finally, they came forward with this digital plan, and they put forward this digital plan, which was the first national example of it, and whoa, was it going to be great. Well, what do we have? We have a website <laughs> with a very little digital interactive activity. They're a broadcaster doing very little broadcast. Now, I will say they did some good coverage over the election. They have some great staff that's learning on the job, but they have a budget that's tenfold what you have and what Joey has, and they're still not producing for our community what we deserve and what's what do you get? What are you getting articles? What, are you getting audio, video? What, what, what we don't get any. We get very limited audio, video. Um, we get articles on the page that are updated. We get a Twitter feed. And there's a lot of Twitter activity. Um, and I mean, I think over the election there was a debate that was hosted by CBC that was um, live streamed, which was great. What we've asked for in, in recent meetings over the last year and a half was not to spend more money, but to spend the money that they have on their local service. And they've put a lot of money here because they've, they've invested in a really good space on James North. They have a staff of, Joey? Joey will not. Uh, officially, they said they had two reporters and they have a producer and an executive producer. So I don't know how CBC structures itself if they consider the producer, executive producer management. I believe they have three full-time now reporters and they have a lot of people that come in part-time. Okay. So they do have resources, and I fully agree that they're not being deployed as efficiently. A lot of what I see is rewriting of police press releases and chasing traffic, and that's already done. My mandate is, and people in this room know, that there have been times where I've been at something, and I'll say, CH, the spec, are here. I'm going to go back and read agendas. You know, we don't have to repeat ourselves. There's so many stories to cover, and... I think CBC, especially because they're the public broadcaster and they're taxpayer-funded, they don't have to worry about chasing advertising. They don't have to worry about chasing ratings. Chase the stories that I can't do, that CH can't do, that the spec can't do, the stuff that requires a lot of resources and work. And I really, I love the space they have on James Street. They did not go, they did not click corners on it. They could broadcast the national out of their studio in Hamilton. They have all the connections. I think, you know, we should have a morning show in Hamilton. Yeah. It doesn't have to have a radio frequency. I don't have a radio frequency. I don't have a broadcast license, but I'm able to stream over the Internet. And with mobile phones now and data and podcasts, every morning, a quick 30-minute morning show, here's what's happening in Hamilton. And then feel free to continue the Toronto morning show on that same stream afterwards. It would probably get them a lot more listenership for that Toronto show as well, if we in Hamilton are able to tune in and get a bit of our local content. So I guess the concern here is not just about the way that they're doing this in Hamilton and whether it's really representative of what the national broadcaster should be doing here, but that they may replicate this elsewhere. And particularly with cuts and concerns, that's very feasible. So this could be coming to other smaller communities across the country. When they launched, they had this map and they wanted to try to get geocoded tweets and try to geocode their stories. In concept, it was good. But I remember when I met with them. So I'm very well followed in Hamilton. I cover a lot of news on Twitter. And they didn't, have, they didn't have a lot of people in Hamilton on their feed. And I remember going, you're more than welcome to use my Twitter feed. And they said, well, we see you as competition. And I just, I, I was so infuriated. Because I'm like, wait a second here. How do you see me as competition? I'm one of the people that funds you. I'm a huge supporter of CBC. I'm a huge supporter of public broadcasting. I do public service broadcasting. Damn it. How am I competition? And why are you setting me as the bar of competition? But in terms of the, uh, in terms of the morning show, I license all of my content, Creative Commons, by attribution, share alike. 
It's an open culture license. The only requirement that CBC has to use that license is to give me credit for my work and to share their own work. Not hard. You're taxpayer funded. This you is, should be sharing your work. These, these are public broadcaster values that uh, it, it seems like you have something to show them and, and something to teach them. Um, but you, we're not competition. We're the community. We, Hamilton should be, CBC Hamilton should be CBC Hamilton Labs. We have developers in this room that if CBC turned around tomorrow and said, we're going to do open source, we're going to be open licensing, they would come in to their newsroom and say, how can we help you build better at no charge? Hang on, Joey, but... We're talking about the CBC. What is the CBC's mandate? Sorry. No, what no. is the CBC's mandate? We're talking about digital content. First of all, it was very disingenuous. When they came to Hamilton, they said it was a digital station. And I thought, that's interesting. What's a digital station? It was a web page within a website. Their mandate is not to create content online. They are a public broadcaster. They're competing using public dollars, competing against the private sector, and I think it's wrong. I think it's just outright and, wrong. And their content is wrong. And I don't think we need more digital content from the CBC. Stick with broadcasting or get out. Uh, so we're going to disagree on the second part. On the first part, we're in complete agreement. CBC should not be competing. CBC should never declare somebody a competitor or view somebody as a competitor. CBC should be supporting the ecosystem. CBC should be open licensing. CHCH, a local news station should be able to call CBC and say, we'd like some of your footage from Parliament Hill today because U.S. Steel was discussed. And they should say, here you are, we're happy to help. I'll push back a little as well, Donna, just in that part of the CBC's mandate is to give Canadians their uh, information wherever Canadians are. No, and broadcasting. They're a public broadcaster. And but broadcasting be... and digital are going to converge. They're not right now. I mean, and, and if they, are they a newspaper? I mean, what are they? They are a public broadcaster. I grew up in Northern Ontario, which is in... We talk about underserviced... Hamilton, I'm sorry. Hamilton is not underserved when it comes to the media. They may be poorly served, but we have a full-time digital... Uh, full-time television uh, station uh, dedicated to Hamilton. We have seven radio stations. We have a daily newspaper. We have a slew of weeklies. We have media here. We may not be doing the job well. You want to go to underserved areas? Come up to Sudbury and Timmins and, and, and you know, Pembroke sure. and all of these other areas. CBC should have come here with a bureau and start showing Hamilton to the rest of the world what Hamilton's about. You know, I don't need the, to read the, the cop, you know, the, the latest accident down the street or whatever and using my tax dollars. I mean, what they have done is just a complete mess and, and they've wasted those dollars and it's, 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 it's absolutely unbelievable that they're still, they're still operating. If, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step in and just say I, 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 agree. I, don't, I agree with Donna about the fact that I... I don't like the way they've chosen to do it, and I think that it does challenge the question of broadcasting in terms of having a web page and a website, because that is effectively what it is. I disagree fundamentally in the fact that CBC should not be here covering City Hall or whatever else is going on in the U.S. Steel or whatever else for the local audience, because the, the mandate and the um, public broadcaster, public service broadcaster, has a different mandate and should have a different ethos then does a private commercial broadcaster, then does community broadcasting. They're three different things. And I think they each bring something different to the table. And I think Joe is right. It shouldn't be your competition. And that's the problem with the, the whole advertising model with CBC. And mm -hmm. other people will talk about that. I'm not going to get into the issue of that. But because they've, they've dipped more than their toe into that realm, 
it's brought them into a realm that they're, you know, they are competing with the privates and they're losing sight of what they should be doing. But that doesn't mean that they shouldn't be in the community. And just a qualifier, I just meant in terms of underservice as compared to medium-sized cities. like Similar cities. Yeah. All right, well, let's move on because I'm not into CBC bashing. You know, I don't want to <laughs> turn this into a pile-on. We actually do love the CBC. <laughs> Um, part of what has attracted me and, and part of what the emails that have brought me here uh, have been that this is an incredibly engaged market. It's an, I, don't, I can't think of a parallel in terms of people who are willing to fight to bring a CBC bureau here. People who are, the, the amount of experimentation with media, uh, an engaged uh, public that, that seems to just desperately want and is willing to put their dollars behind it and their lobbying efforts. And uh, I think it's a pioneering city, and we talk about what is not happening on the CBC's website. Donna, I think in 2000 you had more of a rich multimedia experience on your website than what we're hearing described on, on CBC Hamilton. I forgot about what it looked like. Joey actually took me to some site where I can still find it online, but in 2000 I launched a website, Left CH launched a website, and I have to give myself a pat on the back. It was really innovative. It had digital content. It had video, audio. Uh, How do you have video matter. in 2000? Is I it, was know. It an animated you know what I did? Gift? I partnered with Cable 14. And I had students and I had paid staff. Uh, we had, a, we had um, uh, two salespeople. And I, I, I actually broke even, which is unbelievable when you think about it. I broke even. On your make, own investment, right? On my own investment. And design this website, and uh, I, I think w when I look at websites today, and I think a lot of people, I'm mean, looking at the demographics in this room, and clearly there's a lot of people interested in digital content. But what I'm seeing isn't working with media; is it's not it's not it's not alive. It's unidirectional, and yet it's it's a medium that allows you to be so engaged, and yet you're not. When you click on so many websites, and I get most of my news through newspaper websites, but um, it, doesn't, it doesn't speak back to me. There's not somebody talking back to me. And when I had news for Hamilton, I had people sitting there, and if you wanted to communicate, you could be communicating in real time, and we had real-time contests, and, and I had banners if there was an accident, even a, you know, if you were leaving here tonight and there was a ride program or there was something, you could go on and you'd see a banner, and it would say, stay, take this. So it was really, really, really hyper-local, very relevant uh, it was the first time that, I mean, this is back before Twitter, and it's back before people, I think, even used email quite a bit. But we had notifications of school closures and, and, and that type of thing. So it was very hyper-local content that was very relevant to people. What happened? I, I had to make money. I had to, I had to pay the bills. So I had to shut it down. It's not always good to be first. No, it was 15 years ago. Yeah. 15 years ago. Uh, Sec second or third, maybe... Uh... If I may, it was an amazing site. I loved it. And you're right. If, if it was launched in 2008, uh, it'd be making money today, and I'd probably be working for it because it was innovative. Joy, uh, they're going to write books about you, and they're going to try to replicate what you do. There are lots of places that would like to have a Joey Coleman. Will it scale? Uh, it will scale, but only at local. Um, so right now, I'm working for sustainability in the next three months. I'm not yet sustainable, but I'm very confident I'm going to get there. You have to be willing to sacrifice a lot of your time and energy and put everything you have into this to launch local. I think it'll get easier when people can point to other local news sites and say, this model works in Hamilton. We should do it in Saskatoon, or we should do it in Fort McMurray, or 
Well, it's going to be more like I should do it, right? Because, I mean, there's two sides of this, which is one is what's going to happen to the journalism industry when there's only one person re- reporting per, per market. That sucks for journalists, but a- at least for the public, if somebody's doing it, somebody's doing it. So yes, how many does it take? I mean, I read somewhere the, what was the, the 800 fan rule or the 1,000 fan rule. Like, once you hit 800, you can make a living. So wh- wh- what are you at? Can we talk about numbers? And, and um, we- talking about numbers, I have 50 people that are giving monthly contributions right now. I've had over 700 people that have given to my crowdfunding in the last two years. I'm switching to, I need people to give monthly contributions. I need to have the steady operating revenue. Otherwise, I cannot survive. And I will be focusing on that. And then once I'm there, because there are some capital investments I absolutely need to make, I want to open a storefront studio space with a podcast studio that other people can use so that they can share their stories and content. Because I get a lot of people saying they love me to cover culture. And I'll tell you right now, folks, uh, you will not sit in the pension subcommittee. I'm not going to sit in the Casbah, okay? So that, that's the deal we make, okay? Is you let me be at City Hall, but don't expect me to go rah-rah for the local sports team. And that's not because it's not important. It's just not me. We'll find the person that will do that. Um, but it's got to be done locally in each market. So AOL launched Patch, which was hyper-local across America. But it doesn't work. Um, one of the reasons I love NPR, I'm a huge NPR fan. I love that I can shuffle NPR to a random station somewhere in the flyover states and hear local content. Last year, I had no idea that how heat impacts cows, but I listened to a Wisconsin NPR station. They were talking about heat and cows and how you can keep your cattle safe. I was curious what you did in your spare time when you weren't <laughs> at the committee meetings. This is, well, I'm working on other things. I'm coding, but I love randomly shuffling NPR and being informed. So it's got to be local. It can't scale. And I've said this because people have said, it would be great if you would launch a Burlington bureau. And I turn to them and say, I don't know much about Burlington beyond that you have Ikea. It has cheap breakfast and how to get on the bus for the cheap breakfast. Um, But we need to do it. And I think that young journalists who are listening... Stop chasing the I want to get hired as the overnight crime reporter at the local newspaper in the hope that maybe I can just grab on and hold on to the ledge. It's not going to work. There's only so many positions left and so many people chasing it. Be the person who says, I want to go back to my community. I want to launch an online news startup, and the opportunities will be there. I've had some job offers overseas and outside of Canada. Nothing in Canada, not a surprise. Um, Lately, But if I wanted to, once I make this sustainable in three or four years and have a staff and a bureau and a board of directors and it doesn't need me anymore, I have all those opportunities that we chase as a journalist. You should never, you should never settle in your career. You should always be chasing for the next challenge. But the first step is to launch yourself in your own community, do a community service, build the skills. I'll tell you, I'm a better journalist today than I ever could have been if I continued working in Toronto. Joey Coleman, Sonia McDonald, Donna Skelly, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts today and for coming here. And thanks, everybody here, for being here tonight at the Hamilton Public Library. You could have been anywhere, and you were here. Thank you so much. Uh, Let's have a a very large round of applause for our panel here. your Canada Land show. I hope you enjoyed it. You can email me at jesse at jessebrown.ca. The website is at canadalandshow.com. The crowdfunding site is at patreon.com slash canadaland. 
Special thanks this week to Joey Coleman, to Mike Moniz, and uh, to the Hamilton Public Library, and to our live audience here at the Hamilton Public Library. Canada Land Shortcuts will be up on Thursday morning. If you like this show, support it. Uh, Jesse, can I add? I thought that that was pre-recorded, the ending, but you say it sound the same each and every podcast, and you just did it live. So I, I was always wondering that. <laughs> Thanks, Joey.